You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I'm a movie buff, but not like, you know, the good movies. Just I just want to have I just want to go to the movie and forget about stuff. I just want to go see the movie. So my top five. I mean no particular order, dumb and dumber. Um Jerry Maguire. There's like lines being drawn right now. Walls are going up. <laughs> yeah, you'll see some breakthrough. Um, uh, and last but not least, uh, one of my faves growing up was uh, Goodwill Hunting. Good. I'm glad that some people have seen it. So, um, movie was written by Matt Damon, the young Matt Damon there on the left, when he was like 21 years old. Just rolled up into Hollywood, him and Ben Affleck, and it's just like a prodigy type of thing. Which it's funny because the movie's about prodigies, I guess, but. Um, uh, just funny, a lot of candor, heartwarming, and, and definitely speaks to the human experience, you know, uh, by having a lot in your head and still being broken in your heart. And, uh, and so this is about the end of Act One, I suppose, like Matt has worked his way through, or Will, hunting, has worked his way through a series of therapists that are supposed to be working on him so they can reach his potential because he's like the smartest mathlete that ever, you know, at MIT. And so uh, they sit him down, and he's so smart, he's smarter than all the therapists, and so he's just running circles around these guys, just sabotaging them and smokescreening them, and nobody can break through to Will until this scene happens with Robin Williams there and sits down on the park bench. I remember buying the script one time, and it was called Your Move Chief. It's the name of this thing. And so I'm going to read the PG-13 version of uh, this speech and see if you can remember it. Uh, but the gist of it is... Um, is that sometimes you can know a lot of stuff in your head and still be broken in your heart. And so this is what what Will says, just sarcastically, trying to run this guy out of town, just like the other therapist. Hey, what is this, a taster's choice moment? That was an old commercial. Those of you guys haven't seen that, but uh, is this a taster's choice moment between guys? This is really nice. You got a thing for swans? Is this like a fetish, something we should uh, devote some time to? Sean says, you know, I thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting. He had been in the office the other day and made fun of the bad painting that was on Sean's wall uh, that was supposed to illustrate and portray his relationship with his wife. Will went out of bounds, started talking about maybe his wife had cheated on him and, you know, really went for the, for the throat because her people hurt people, you know. And so uh, he says, you know, I stayed up a long time. I was thinking about your comment. It occurred to me, and I fell into a deep sleep, a peaceful sleep. I haven't thought about you since. You want to know what occurred to me? Will says, no. Sean says, you're just a kid, and you don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. Will says, well, why thank you? Sean says, it's all right. You've never been out of Boston, right? And Will says, nope. And Sean lays into him, just this kind of gentle, fatherly kind of way. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me uh, the on and on about every art book that's ever been written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him. Life's work. Political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? But I bet you can't tell me what it smells like to be in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at that beautiful ceiling. I've seen that. If I ask you about women, you'd probably give me a syllabus of your personal favorites. You've maybe even been with a few women a few times. But you can't tell me what it's like to wake up next to a woman and truly feel happy. You're a tough kid. 
If I ask you about war, you'd probably throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap, watched him gasp for his last breath, looking for help. If I asked you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable, known someone who can level you with her eyes, feel like God put an angel on earth just for you, who could rescue you from the depths of hell. And you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel, to have the love for her that would be forever, through anything, through cancer. You wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hospital room for two months, holding her hand, because the doctors could see that in, her, that in your eyes, the terms of visiting hours don't apply to you. You don't know about real loss, because that only occurs when you love someone more than you love yourself. And I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. So when I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident young man. I see a cocky, scared kid. But you're a genius. Well, nobody denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you, but you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine and you ripped my life apart? You're an orphan, right? Do you think I know the first thing about how hard your life has been and how you feel because I read Oliver Twist? Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't care about any of that stuff because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't learn from a book unless you want to tell me about you, who you are, and I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. Your move, chief. So you can feel the difference when you're talking to an expert or you're talking to a witness. Like I remember teaching World War II and talking about the Holocaust and throwing up the numbers and the names and watching Schindler's List. But they take you down for the field trip, and then back then they had like a survivor, and you'd come and hear that survivor talk, and it's like you don't know anything from that book compared to what that lady's talking about. You've listened to uh, pop radio songs, you know, it's driving down the road, listening to Sing 2, and some guy has some algorithm about what's going to get a club going, you know, and so the lyrics of these songs are, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. And then you hear Jeff Buckley playing a Leonard Cohen song, Love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. And you know, you're listening to a difference than an expert, than a witness. You felt a shepherd's correction before. And all of the authorities in your life that have barraged you with the do's and don'ts of life, but when somebody comes down and has experienced the pain and is sitting with you because they want you to avoid the pain that they felt, you know the difference between an expert and a witness. So listen, Acts 1, verse 8, key verse, hallmark verse for this whole book. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Did you hear what the, the book says about the Spirit in us? It says that the church, as it's born in Pentecost, is not making its way and reaching the globe, all nations, with the gospel by being experts. It's not reaching the world by being scholars by knowing some things, by reading a book a few times and quoting the chart. That's not how it's supposed to happen. It's not how it did happen. There's nothing in Acts chapter 1 that says, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be role models. Watch my life and do as I did to get what I got. Because that's not the power that we've been provided because we are not experts, we're witnesses. Last but not least, it does not say that we are the police of the world and that the gospel makes its way to the ends of the earth through policing because we are not ex experts, we are witnesses. We know when we look into the eyes of someone talking about their faith or sharing their faith, whether it's their faith or someone else's, whether they are an expert or whether they are a witness. 
And we can feel the difference between if I see in your eyes something that your parents told you one day and you say what they say, something that your accountability group is challenging you to say once a week, or something that you can't help but burn up in your bones to share with me, or if it's Jesus himself. And this is what the, church is, what the, what the scripture is saying about us today, church, is that the Holy Spirit has not come upon us to make us experts, but to make us witnesses. The most favorite saying of all experts in the world is, did you know? But the most favorite saying of witnesses is, come and see. So Acts chapter 2 opens up, and there's a heyday in here. Lots of stuff is going to go on that Julia read about. And some of the names we can't even pronounce these days, right? But mark it, is that Acts chapter 2 is not a publicity stunt. It is a long-awaited promise. So if you just look at the screen up there, you can see the analogy The Pentecost means 50. It's 50 days after the Passover. So every 50 days after the Passover, the Israelites would bring from all over the corners of the globe a pilgrimage and a harvest offering to celebrate the new harvest and to remember remember the first Pentecost. The first Pentecost was when the Passover happened and the Israelites wandered into the desert and they came to the mountain of Sinai and they got the law. So the first Pentecost and 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 the celebrated Pentecost that followed that and those rhythms were supposed to be to be released through Passover to get the law on Mount Sinai and to bring the harvest to expect the coming uh, true exodus that was going to happen to Jesus' people. And so this is what Passover is about, is that the cross is the true Passover, the spirit is the true law, and the harvest is the true people that are drawn to it. This is not a publicity stunt. This is not a big flash in the pan to get everybody's attention. This is the birthday of the church. The church is born on this day. And so the scriptures and the spirit come to us to identify the law of first impressions and introduce the church to us for the first time, not as experts, but as witnesses, as people, as Julia read earlier in Acts chapter 2, who have not just heard about, but heard in their own language the gospel, in their own language. This is the witness that they had. Like, this is the foundation that has started for the identity of the church. Number two, it says in scriptures that their hearts were quickened by the gospel, and they personally were cut to the quick. They were convicted by the gospel. And lastly, in Acts chapter 2, the family begins to roll out in devoted rhythms. And so not just one time at the altar, but every day they see the hands and feet of Jesus within their family. This is the birthday of the church. And if this is the birthday of the church, then we can recognize that the identity of the church is that they are born to witness. We are born to witness. We are born to witness. And so this is what I want to share with you uh, just as we, as we move our way into you know, the deeper parts of this book, this theme will continue. This martus is, is the Greek word martyr, right? That means witness. But a witness is not talking about what they think. They're talking about what they know, what they have seen and what they have heard. And so here's the good news of being let off the hook. You can't share what you haven't seen, right? But here's the encouragement. You must share what you have. You are accountable. You are culpable for what you've seen and what you have heard. And you have not heard just for yourself. You've heard for your neighbor as well. And so the three questions like that, that give birth to and raise a witness, is this. What have you seen? Because if you're here, you've seen something. You've heard something, and you are accountable to make that mean something for someone else. And what does it mean? Peter is going to give a really long uh, sermon that is going to explain that all of it is about Jesus. It's not that good people go to heaven. It's not that a Protestant work ethic is the best way to go. It's not that God's nicer than you think. It is that Jesus died and was raised again, that we killed him and God raised him. And that's the meaning of it all. And lastly, who is around me that is watching? Who is around me that is uh, listening that I might witness to them? So let me just uh, reread the passage that we read earlier to set the stage. 
The photo in the photo album in Acts 2 says this, and when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, like a blowing and a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 12, as Julia read, what does this mean, says the crowd in verse 13. Some, however, felt that they had been drinking and they had had too much wine. And so, as we read in Acts chapter 1, it's not that Jesus went up into the sky to sit on a cloud. It's that he came to sit on a throne. Like, as a matter of fact, Jesus usually tells people to wait longer than they expect, actually did what he promised he was going to do sooner than they thought. Hey, when is the next time you're going to set up the kingdom of Israel? Wait, tarry ye in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit will fall, and you'll see what happens next. It was only 50 days later. So he's up on the, on the cloud, to sit on, up into the sky, ascended to sit on a throne and not a cloud, and in his wake comes this trail of a brand new kingdom. It is not a human kingdom. It is a heaven's kingdom, right? And, uh, and this is the way that the prophecy uh, explains itself through the prophet Joel. He says, hey, look, didn't you know that this isn't just a publicity stunt? This is a pregnancy delivered? Peter says it this way, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In other words, the human kingdoms, the human kingdoms, cause old, man, old, old men to have no more dreams. There's a hopelessness in age and cause young men to have wisdom or have no wisdom. And he's saying the opposite happens, an upside down thing is happening where the human kingdom is getting turned over for a heaven kingdom where now your young men actually have wisdom, have vision, and old, men's, old men have hope rising up within them. Verse 18, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit, nothing will be untouched, and they will prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heaven above and the signs on the earth below and blood and fire and billows of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name will be saved. And so what the crowd is doing is that they are puzzled and in wonderment over what has happened. As a matter of fact, when they see this new church, they think they're witnessing people getting drunk in the middle of the day, right? And, and Peter has to stand up and, and assert himself and say to them, what you are not witnessing is not chaos, you're actually witnessing heaven. What you are seeing is not chaos, but actually the kingdom of heaven that has come down just as Jesus promised. And so as you can see, right, this kingdom, there is no, there is no Caesar around this place. There is no king. There is no, there is no like rule and authority kind of thing because the king is actually on his throne ascended at the right hand of the father. And as you can see that what makes this kingdom move is not money and guns and ammunition, but the spirit of God has fallen on all flesh. And as you can see that it's not based on geopolitical uh, categories and races and nations. It's based on the citizens of heaven that have been reborn, right? And so when you are seeing this thing and you think it's chaos, it's actually, it's actually heaven. So I got to thinking about this this week, and it really made me convicted in the sense that I think that one of the worst things that could happen to somebody that's an outsider or an unbeliever in a church is to come into a church and say, you know what? This makes sense. According to the blueprint of heaven here on the pages of Acts 2 is one of the worst things that people could say is, you know, that kind of makes sense. They all have the same political aspirations. They all have the same socioeconomic classes. They're all kind of the same race. Like, that kind of makes sense. I could see it. I could see this person who is talking a certain way that's telling a story and telling a narrative that connects with everybody. That kind of makes sense to me. It kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense that 
all the rich people will be over here and start churches like this and all the poor people will be over here. Like, that makes sense. That's one of the most offensive and anti-kingdom things ever because first and foremost, the church can be a lot of things, but one of the things it cannot do is make sense. The best thing that it possibly do is, is, to, is to cause wonderment and awe and bewilderment. Why is it that these people are acting this way, talking to those people, doing that thing? That should make no sense. That is the template by which the, the church introduces herself is people see it and think that we're drunk. That should be, that should be the template, right? And so there's this great word. I just picked it out earlier this week, but like a commentator was saying, in church, we should be experiencing something called chaotic. It should, we should be experiencing this kind of chaotic order, a chaos that has an order to it, because here's the reality. You can have kingdom or you can have control, but you cannot have both. You cannot have both. And so births are messy. Giving birth to a baby is messy and painful, and so it is giving birth to the church is, is, is painful and messy, as it is raising a child and raising a church. But I remember one time, I'm down here in worship, and, and Taylor, who preached a couple weeks ago, he came up to me and said, I feel like I'm supposed to call people forward for prayer. i just given a message in 1 Peter about bearing the name of Jesus. He felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit on him, and I thought, I don't want you to talk. Uh, we got to go. There's kids downstairs. Can't do it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I felt nudged and had a peace, eventually got around my flesh, right? And, and, and Taylor came forward, and probably half the room came forward to be prayed for, to be bold for the name of Jesus and proclaim his name in their work in schools and places they did life, and that wasn't on the spreadsheet. And so there has to be this spontaneous planning with room for the Holy Spirit to interrupt because you can have a human kingdom or a heaven kingdom, but you can't have both. I was talking to John Childs. Uh, he and his wife do a prayer meeting on Wednesday mornings. Y'all are welcome to come at 6 in the morning. And uh, uh, they, they, I went this, this last Wednesday, and it was, it was fantastic. And, and I asked him about it. I called up. I was so curious. I said, people don't act this way. People don't get up in the morning without music and Bethel. And like, they just started praying. I said, how did that happen? I'm like, they must be drunk, you know, on the spirit. I don't know. He said, well, it's, it's a long work fruit. It didn't happen that way, just out of the box. He says, you know what you need to get a good prayer meeting going? You need to have endurance for awkward silence. Because if you're not willing to deal with awkward silence, you're, you might get the you know, kingdom of, of, of humans if you're, willing, if you're wanting to make anything energetic, but if you really want the Spirit of God, you've got to wait on them. I was uh, praying about and thinking about you today, Will. I was glad to see you, William. This one time, I don't know if you remember this one Sunday in worship. I don't know if the, what you would have said on your testimony but I hear this loud voice in a great baritone, I'd say, just a good tone, shouting out, no microphone, louder than Timothy, son of David, don't pass me by. And that was the spirit talking, that wasn't just you. And somebody needed to hear that. And that wasn't on my spreadsheet. You can have the human kingdom or the, or the heaven kingdom, but the last thing you want people to do is come in and say, this makes sense. This is how everybody else do, does it, you know? This is how we, we do the Kiwanis Club. This is how we do the YMCA. This is how we do the Boys and Girls Club. And this is how we do church. He says, that's not the identity of the church. It should not make sense. So Acts 2, he begins to preach. So, so, so Peter stands up, and, and this is a long sermon. So you guys are talking to me about long sermons. This is a long sermon. It has lots of twists and turns, but it's very beautiful. So follow with me. So he stands up, and, and he preaches, and he gives the meaning to the miracle. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through them. Notice his presentation of the gospel does not start with, you are an abomination. 
right? It starts with, it doesn't say, hey, you want to know God's plan for your life to have a great, healthy, wealthy life. You know what it starts with, the gospel, Jesus. It's a great way to present the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Here's how we know. Miracles, signs, wonders. He did them all among you right in broad daylight, and you missed them for your nose. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross, but God raised him from the dead. This is our message. Like, this is page two. This is, this is what we're about. If this is not what we're about, then we're not about anything. This is, what, this is what this is about, the whole book. We killed Jesus. God raised him up, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. And then he gives him the throwback psalm in Psalm 18 about how David had seen the Lord be resurrected from death in the spirit. Verse 29, I'll skip down to expedite. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing that was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God had raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that thing. Exalted at the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you see in here. That's why you're seeing. That's the meaning to this miracle. Jesus is the meaning to the miracle and everything else, by the way. For David did not ascend heaven, and yet he said, throw back to the Messianic Psalm 110, sit at my right hand. And then verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When I was first learning how to preach, a guy said, you don't want five points in your sermon. You need one point. You need something called a 3 a.m. You want to be able to wake up, Matt, and ask him what the sermon is about. And if he can't tell you at three in the morning, you didn't preach well, right? So you need one point. So if you look, he had a lot of points. And it says later, he goes and talks about more things. But really, out of all the points, there's one point. This is the gospel. Not even that Jesus loves you or not even that Jesus saves, but Jesus is Lord. This is the 3 a.m. of the of the first sermon, the, the, the first sermon that was ever preached to the church of Pentecost is not how to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, but that Jesus is Lord, that you killed him, and God raised him, and he is Lord and Messiah. And so what he's basically saying is that David is the greatest king that Israel ever had, but David has a grave, so he can't be your Messiah. And with a tongue-in-cheek way of saying that Jesus is Lord, he's also saying, and Caesar's going to face the same future as David did. The problem with your kings is that your kings need kings. Somebody that's not delivered can't deliver you, right? And so here's what we should pay attention to. If a guy died, got put in the ground, and got raised three days after, we should probably know his name. And it probably has power to it. And as a response, you probably shouldn't just put something on Twitter or put it on your info thing, but you should repent and be baptized. In other words, you know, uh, pun intended, not sprinkled in the gospel, but saturated Everything in your life, your money, your sex, your time, your politics, the way you treat people, all of it is saturated in this new reality that Caesar is not Lord, David is not king, and Jesus is Messiah, that you killed him, that God raised him, and because of that, any man who trusts in him, any woman that trusts in him can have forgiveness of sin and the fullness of the Spirit. That's the gospel. Take it or leave it. And so here's the reason. Some of you guys are like, well, are we really some, you know, more gifted people that are more you know, let's go do stuff and expedite. Like, are we literally listen to Oliver preach another sermon? Like, are we literally in here again listening to sermons? And I just tell you, like, power and wonder and miracles are important, but sermons matter because sermons give meaning to the miracle. 
if there isn't a sermon, if there isn't a proclamation and an invitation to the gospel, then the miracle is God's a nice guy. That's not the gospel. That's not the fullness of the sermon. If you don't have a meaning to the sermon, then the sermon just becomes turn and burn. God's mad at you. Get it right. We need the whole gospel, the full gospel. If Peter needs to preach it in 16 points, then we probably need to preach it in 16 points, but we need the whole gospel because the gospel is the meaning. And you don't want somebody healed and not get the meaning to not get the gospel. So this is what I've got. Like if I had sermon notes and I was going to preach Peter's sermon, uh, this is what I think Peter would be saying. And it seems like if it's going to be the first, there's actually seven sermons and in the book of Acts, and I'd love to go through and just give you napkin renditions, you know, maybe something that could be portable for you to be thinking about because your friends need to see and hear the gospel. Like, I disagree with Mother Teresa. Like, the gospel requires words. It always requires words because Jesus is a word. And people aren't saved by good deeds. They're saved by the name of Jesus. So if you don't have a practical way to share your story and practically share in a clear way what the gospel is without leaving parts out, then you're not really to witness and you're born to witness. This is what it is. Everybody's trying to climb up to heaven, but Jesus came down. He came as a man and he lowered his God card. And he shows us and not only tells us that God loves the world. You are not an abomination. You are made in God's image. And he sent his only son because he so loved the world that whoever would believe unto him would not perish but have eternal life. And not only that, he didn't just die and get crucified as a baby. You think about that. Like, what were the 30 years about? So you could perform signs and wonders and miracles to just say, do what I did? No. You know what the prophecy and the testimony of Jesus is? Watch the life you should have lived, but you didn't. Those scriptures are not there to copycat Jesus. They're to show you the life that you never lived on your own. I never sat with a prostitute when she's being judged. I never healed anybody outside of the Holy Spirit. I never did any of this stuff so that the testimony of Jesus is that the law put on feet walked around and I looked nothing like him. It's not go be like Jesus. It's realize he did what you couldn't do over and over and over again. And then he went to the death. And then it brings up that important question. That's a 3 a.m. question. Why would a perfect man who was sent from God be put to death? Unless it's mine. Unless that was my cross. Unless sin actually doesn't just dissipate into the atmosphere because time forgives all wounds. Sin is actually calculated. It collects debts. And he paid it. And if that's not in your gospel, you don't know the gospel. He paid my consequence and gave me his. So he got the sin and I got the spirit. Right? And so now we live in an already not yet where we have some of the inbreaking kingdom of God of healing and generosity and beauty within the church and then also process. Do you know anybody with process? You want to be walking out their process? That's because we are living in the new creation with one foot and stepping out of the old creation with the other one. And so Jesus rose. And if he didn't rise, then we just get to come to church and I just tell you, you suck again. And we, 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 we oscillate between these two false gospels. Either you come in here and I say, you're awful. Admit you're awful. And then you have this other one. God's awesome. You're awesome. Go be awesome. Stop letting people tell you that you're not awesome. You're not awesome. This gospel is not you being awful. It's not about you being awesome. It's about him being able and resurrecting you. He is producing that spiritual. This is not a bad to good. It is a death to life scenario. And any man that believes in Jesus is not only forgiven, but filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the one we always forget though, right? He's ascended. You know what that means? When he's seated at the right hand of the Father, it's like when, when the Sabbath was finished and it said he was done working and he said, 
It is very good. That's exactly what he's doing right now. You know what Jesus is not doing? Worrying. He's not worrying about your salvation, your sanctification. He's not worried about Greenville. He's not worried about what you, like, he is completely at rest sitting at the right hand of the Father because his work is finished. And that's part of the gospel. And here's another part of the gospel that's very important we can't leave out, is he's coming back. And he's going to judge the living and he's going to judge the dead. And everybody wants justice, but nobody wants judgment. Right? If a, if a police officer kills a minority in this, in this country, we want justice. You know what we don't want? Judgment, if it's me. But people answer. We will answer to a judge. And so there's an urgency. Like, I need to give you a proclamation, an invitation. Apart from my good works and my healing and all these other things, none of the miracles mean anything unless they point to the gospel. Unless they point to the gospel. And so all that being said, the point of it all is this, is not necessarily... We'll go th- I would love to do some equipping and go through different napkin. Back- I would love for each of us to, at some point, have a comfortable back-of-the-napkin conversation that we could have with people. But here's the point. When you look at the words like confident and boldly and stand up, we're not just reading right, Peter's verbal language. We're reading his body language. And the point is, is that Peter's standing before them, not as an expert, but as a witness. And so here's my point. If I, if I have an opportunity, and I'm praying this year that I would have an opportunity to draw on the back of napkins this year to present the gospel to friends that I love, like give an opportunity that is clear enough that they could reject it. Is that when I present that, I don't want them seeing and hearing the napkin. I want them seeing and hearing me. I want them to hear that Isaac came to my tennis practice because Jesus came to earth. And he sent Isaac, and that's not just Isaac, my youth pastor. That's him that came after me. I want them to hear that I read 1 Corinthians 13 and was quickened to my own heart, knowing that I wanted love and joy and peace and patience and self-control, but had none of it. I want them to hear that because they didn't come... The gospel is not moving forward out of me through an expertise, but through a witness. I want them to know about 2003 when I watched The Passion. I was just haunted about the cost of my sin on Jesus. I didn't read that in the book. I know that. I felt that in the spirit. I want them to know about my kidney healing, about how I was diagnosed to live for 10 more years and get a kidney transplant, and he healed me of that. And the assurance and the peace that I felt when I was 16 and the assurance and the peace that I had last night at 38 because I have the spirit of God inside of me even when things aren't going well. And I need them to hear that he's in control and that I believe that. And that I've actually doubted, wondered if Jesus was real after I followed Jesus and the buoyancy of the Holy Spirit used perseverance to produce hope in me and that didn't come for me. It became because he's on the throne. And I want them to know he's coming back because there's lots of people in my life that are dying and they're not 80. They're 20 and they're 30. And guess what? Even if they weren't, the decades go faster and faster as you go. So he's coming back. And I'm here to witness. I'm here to witness to you. And so it's all one line. Like, like the whole thing is an introduction to the church. It is a, it's an illustration for the word that he puts on the introduction of the church, which is to witness. This is what it means to witness. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and signs and wonders. Did you ever see that word anywhere else in the passage? Oh, yeah. Signs and wonders attached to Jesus' name. The apostles' teaching, the gospel that Peter just preached. Oh, yeah, we've heard of that before. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those who are daily being saved. So do you see, do you see some of the integration, the saturation of the gospel that was preached, the kingdom of heaven that was demonstrated in the earlier chapters, 
integrating itself, not only in the extraordinary, but in the ordinary lives of the church. This is what it is. Do you know why they were devoted? Because Jesus was devoted to them. He came for them. That's the idea. The point of Acts 2 is not the sermon. The sermon is just words. You know who the witness is. The witness is the church. Witnessing is not something to do. It's something you are. And so devotion, coming together daily, when, it, when you feel like it, when it rains, when it snows, you are proclaiming the gospel, not just with your lips, but with your life. And you're saying, Jesus came for me, so I'm coming for you. There were signs and wonders to demonstrate that this is not us. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that's in our midst. This isn't a Kiwanis club. There is an involvement of the Holy Spirit deeply into our personal lives. You know why we take communion? It's just not to host a serious worship song. It's to proclaim, to remind us. Like, apart from him, I have no life. He took the penalty of my sin. It didn't dissipate. It got put on Jesus instead of me. The diversity and the generosity that came, that doesn't come from the human. Put humans in a room and see if they get along together. See if they're united. See if they give generously to one another. No, it must be a witness of the Holy Spirit that is causing this generosity to come. This favor over non-believers that the Spirit has left nothing untouched, that he's fallen on all flesh, that people are coming in great numbers. You know why? Because Jesus is on the throne. It's not because our evangelistic strategies have become more astute. And so I'll, I'll just close with a quick story and, and, uh, and then the intentional question, but um, was really blessed uh, the other night on Thursday to come to uh, worship night at the Barnes' home the other day. And um, I knew it was going to be, I just, I felt that, can't feel my face, no, I'm just kidding. I, I felt <laughs> like it was going to be a great night because there was a charcuterie board in there and I was like, these pastrami slices are folded up like little petals, you know. And, uh, and Ashlyn was there. Oh, goodness. I was like, and, Darrell, and the, whole, the whole team is there. And I'm like, oh, this is, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm not going to be surprised if this is incredible. So Timothy comes out, and he has a little decibel level reader. It's like, and it's like measuring the decibels in the house. Just fine-tuned it. I mean, body of Christ operating different gifts. But it's, it's not just the people and the address and the venue and the seating. It's the Spirit of God. And... Um, and I'm sitting there, and I just have this thing about knownness on my heart. I'm just like, man, it's just so sad that you could go on life years and years and not be known, to not know yourself, and to not know God, and not be known by God. It's like, that's just so sad, and I just felt the ache of that. And of course, here comes sweet Evan leading this song that City Lights wrote about the woman at the well. You know what the woman at the well says when she starts a revival in her town? Come here, the guy who knows everything about me. And that wasn't on my planning sheet. It's just in prayer. So we end up talking, and one thing leads to another. It was supposed to be just a quick little prayer transition at the end, and the Lord swerves it all over, and we end up talking for probably like 40 minutes. I mean, just people speaking like the way that God sees and knows one another out of the Scripture, through the Spirit, to brothers and sisters that they've never talked to. Have you ever had something that you feel like God sees in a person that they don't see in themselves? You just wish you had a minute to to tell them? Can I say just do that? And in environments as we're, as we're worshiping and, and, and seeing the face of God, know that when Jesus broke the bread, they recognized him, but they recognized each other too. And that every time we break bread, we're not only seeing the heart of God, we're seeing our brother and sister for the first time. And so all that to say is I just want to let you know from the Acts chapter 2 thing is that on a personal note, you guys witnessed to me that you guys have been faithful 
over these years through COVID and out of movie theaters and in and out of different seasons of ministry, when I've got something to say or nothing to say, except let's just keep going, y'all have continued to be faithful and that witnesses to me. You guys have practiced encourageability more than accountability to me. In other words, the things that you do better than me, I've never felt shame by them or condemned by you. I felt like God has provided something next to me. And I'm reminded of the death of Jesus, not just because we take communion, but because you forgive me. And when I screw up and mess up in front of you, you don't punish me. You continue to forgive me. And I know that's not because I've earned it. I know that's because Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is inside of you. I know about and heard about, and I can taste and see and tell my friend on napkins and over coffees that Jesus is alive and well because I see your power and purity, and I know it's not yours. It's the spirit of Jesus inside of you. And the perseverance that you walk with, continually growing in perseverance and perseverance of character and hope, I know that's because he's on the throne. I know that's because anytime you fall down, he continues to lift you back up in the Holy Spirit. And I know that he's coming back because there's a hunger inside of you and a burning that you need to preach the best news you've ever known. Because the, the thing that you, that you know in your, in your heart that is the good news of the gospel that gives meaning to every message, that gives meaning to every miracle, your neighbor needs to hear it. And I know that because you're a witness to me. And so I just have two intentional questions and I'll invite the band to come forward. But I wanna get practical with this. I think there's five keys out of this passage that I see. I'll read quickly, but um, five ways to witness. But I wanna ask you this question first, the who matters. Luke says that there are people that are peaceful to you and not peaceful to you. You should go searching the house and there are some that are not ready for you. So we wanna spend the most amount of time with people that are ready. So I want to ask you this question, in your crowd, who's been watching? Who's the person that remembers the things that you say? Some things about the way that the Spirit of God speaks is oftentimes he'll get rid of the things that I say and you'll remember the things that he says. And I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. But who, who around you is hearing Jesus through you? Whose heart is more open to you, that is, that is seeking after you? Who, who's around you? Who's listening to you? Who's a person of peace? Whose hands, oftentimes I've found that people that are interested and eager to hear about the Jesus you follow, though oftentimes it'll manifest in giving gifts to you or they'll give something to you because they're like, I don't know what to do here, but there's just this generosity and I want to give to you because you've given so much. Is there somebody that has been ready to be witnessed to? No matter what, we are always witnesses. Witnessing is not something we do, it's someone we are. We are witnesses. We are being made witnesses, both with our lips, but also our lives. And so here's just five ideas, right? Taking the arrows right off the page. I think that at least witnessing could mean five different things. And you could do one, you could do five, you could be good at one, you could be bad at another, right? But these are five ways that I know that people have witnessed to me. Number one, when you go out of your way to go to somebody's tennis match that was not on your schedule, it communicates something. That is a loud message. When you're not supposed to be somewhere, but you are because they're there, that's Jesus. And that's where the witness begins. Are you going to where people are? People that are out of your way, inconvenient, not on your schedule, that preaches. Number two, as you live with people, are you watching how to live the same and different? Here's the thing. I'm not being sacrilegious. Jesus pooped his diapers. And that preaches because he didn't have a God card. And he was temptation, temp tempted and didn't sin. And so what does it mean to witness? It means to live with people and, and, and have problems and not be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good and work through depression and confess and be not perfect, right? But at the same time, when it's time to stand, to stand, to find out that place where you cannot do what they do and not see it as bad news, but see it as good news, an opportunity to preach the gospel by living different. You are not here to live the same. You're here to live different. Third, to preach to people. And we'll, I, 
My plan is to take all the seven sermons and just look at different ways that in 15 minutes or five minutes, you could say, do you have a story like this? And this is what the gospel would mean, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Do you, are you able to verbalize that, articulate that in clarity with a way that comes out of your heart? Third, to pray for people. One of the best ways you can witness is to say, how can I pray for you? And pray for people that God might open a door, you might pray with them. Because signs and wonders are part of our legacy. It's part of our inheritance. And God will intervene. One of the best things you could ask somebody, if they are not willing to receive the gospel, is just say, I dare you for the next week every day to pray, if you're real, Jesus, show me. And watch him show up on that one. If you're real, I want you to show me. Right? Jesus rose, and so this is the, this is the temperament that we're living. This is the climate that we're living in spiritually these days. The spirit has fallen all fresh. And, and, and lastly, that Jesus is coming back, that there is a time and a place to witness with our lives, but also with our lips, to give people decisions. Because here's the reality. If they don't say yes today, they're still going to think about it. The word is never returned in void. So for the, you have to present the gospel seven times for people to even think about it. And Paul says that it's not the, you know, the water or the seeds or the heart. It's, it's the spirit of God that causes increase. And so you can walk away faithful knowing that you did who you are. You witness because you are a witness unto the ends of the earth. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.